Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Buy low or no thanks, bro. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, June 24th. I am Frank Stanfield, joined by Chris Towers, a.k.a. your favorite host and your favorite substitute host. Substitute host. It would be helpful if I knew how to speak, right? I also, I think Scott's the favorite substitute host. He got a lot more praise for his solo pod than I've ever gotten for any of the literally hundreds of episodes I've I've guest hosted, maybe like dozens. All right. Well, how you, how you doing, Chris? You feeling better? I am feeling better. I, I I went to the gym today for the first time. I'm trying to get a gym routine going before football season starts because if I don't start before football season starts, there's no way I'm ever going to actually go to the gym. So I'm I'm good and sore. Got you know these whatever these guys are called in my chest. Whatever you know the dor the dorsimus pectoris. Nice and sore. Feeling good. Got that lactic acid built up. Very nice. You're gonna brag about my one time going to the gym. I like it. I'm one of those like old people at heart where I just go to the nearest park that has workout equipment that everyone can use. <laughs> just like do some dips or pull ups or something. And it's not many of any of those things, but it's a for effort, right? Well, I I couldn't do many of those things. Like I don't think I could do one pull up right now, which is embarrassing to admit. But I think we're all friends here, and I'm sure nobody will say anything mean about that. <laughs> well, the goal is by the end of the baseball season, Chris, you will be doing at least one. I think I can do one pull up before the end of the baseball season. Let's make that happen. Let's jump into Wednesday's action. Oh, my good goodness gracious. I was about to say Thursday because I look up at my computer and it says Thursday already because, again, it it's Thursday. after midnight. Uh, by the way, on today's podcast, we're going to talk about some trade talk. We're going to have buy low or next. No, thanks, bro. Chris updated his trade chart, which is live on the site now. So we'll look at some of the biggest risers and fallers. We had a ridiculous game in Philadelphia, two socks and two shoes for the Tigers and much more. Chris, where would you like to start? Let's start with a ridiculous game. I don't know where this one was actually played, but the Washington Nationals. That was the game played in Philly. A ridiculous. Oh, look, that's the game you were talking about. Okay, yeah. yeah. 13 to 12, Washington Nationals won. And let's talk about Juan Soto. In a game where there were 25 runs scored, 27 hits, Juan Soto did score one run. He did not have a hit. He went 0 for 4 with a walk. And... The weird power outage for Juan Soto continues. He's only got eight home runs for the season in his 61 games played and none in his last 13 games. He had four in the first eight games of the month of June. He has one extra base hit in his last 13 compared to three grounded into double plays. One reached on an error. Uh, He is still hitting. You know, he's 11 for 40 for 43. So he's like 260. That's not bad with no home runs, you know. But uh, the weird season continues for Juan Soto. It has not been the best hitter in baseball coronation that everyone expected. And on a day where everyone was hitting, it's especially disappointing. On the other hand, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong. (laughs) You know, when you look at the underlying numbers, it's elite across the board. I mean, 90th percentile average exit velocity, 94th percentile hard hit rate, 98th in X-WOBA, 98th in XBA, 91st in X-SLUG, 68th in barrel percentage. That's the worst one he's got is a 68th percentile in barrel percentage. So 
as disappointing it has been, as it has been, and I'm sure as frustrating as it has been for the people who have Juan Soto on their teams, I don't think you can move him. I don't think you should try to sell him. I don't think you should be downgrading him in the in the trade values column. He's still, I believe, a a top five player for me in head to head points leagues at least. Um, maybe that's too optimistic, but. I think this is a situation where you've still got to believe that Juan Soto's underlying numbers matter and that they will lead to elite production moving forward. So you have Juan Soto as your fourth most valuable player in head-to-head points leagues, and you have him as your fifth in Roto. Fifth in Roto. And it's been disappointing that he hasn't run more this year, which is something they were talking about before the season, so that's why you can't always buy into that Coach speak, yeah. player speak. Whatever. His sprint speed is up slightly. He's 55th percentile compared to 34th percentile last season. His stack-ass page is, is ridiculous. You, you yeah. mentioned it. It's it's a sea of red. Everything looks he, great. There's He's nothing, fourth in baseball and expected Woba. There's nothing that I can point to that has me actually worried about Juan Soto this year. I mean, his... Slugging percentage is down quite a bit this season compared to where it was last year. Actually, it's currently a career low. It's 431 last year, 695 slug, which was just absolutely ridiculous. But even if you look at his 2019 numbers, 548, like that's probably a realistic expectation yep. for Juan Soto. So uh, the power has been sapped this year. He dealt with a shoulder injury earlier on in the season. So maybe that's still kind of lingering, but... All-star break, maybe he, you know, rests up a little bit, gets healthy. I, I still think long-term, like, Juan Soto's going to be fine. We got an email earlier today asking, yeah. like, do a deep dive. What's wrong with Juan Soto? And everything you look at, there's nothing that says that he should be playing this poorly. So that's it kind of yeah, like, sounds like a cop-out, but that's the honest truth. Even, like, he's getting shifted much more than he ever has been. His, he's being shifted on 57.2% of his plate appearances. He's actually been better against the shift so far this season. So even that, which would potentially be like, if you're looking for reasons why a player would be underperforming their expected stats, you would look at the key two key things for me would be, are they easy to shift against? Do they get those, you know, would be singles and doubles stolen because of the shift? And are, is the player slow? Is the player especially losing foot speed? And in Soto's case, neither of them seems to be true. He sprays the ball to all fields, so that can't be the issue. Again, it's been frustrating, but I don't see any reason to think that Juan Soto won't be one of the five best players in fantasy moving forward. And look at it this way. If you get an opportunity to trade for Juan Soto right now, you should do it even if you pay full price, even if you pay top five player value for him because what you're looking at is whatever you're giving up. If you think that player isn't as good as Juan Soto, which likely they will not be, you're getting that player's good production plus what Juan Soto is likely to do moving forward, which is, again, be a top five fantasy player. And someone in your league is saddled with, you know, three months of Juan Soto being like a mediocre Joey Votto season during his peak where he's not hitting for much power, but he's getting on base and then they're going to get a lesser player moving forward. So I I think this is still absolutely the right time to be trading for Juan Soto. Let me ask you, Chris, and for a lot of the trade questions that I'm going to bring up today, I'm going to offer up starting pitchers for hitters because I think the expectation is that moving forward, pitching is going to regress and hitters are going to get better. And with that being said, would you trade Kevin Gosman away for Juan Soto if you could? Another start, seven innings, one run, nine strikeouts. He is the SP2 in both fantasy points per game and in Roto this year. Kevin Gosman is ridiculous. Yeah, I definitely would. And that's not a knock on Kevin Gosman. I just don't think he's a top five player. Um, yep. You know, in looking at the trade value chart, I probably need to move him up because he's still more like. SP 18 for me. And that doesn't make much sense. I do think he needs to be higher than that. There are oversights when I'm putting together this trade chart. I'll admit occasionally I do have to make updates ranking 300, 600 plus players 
you'll occasionally have some that uh that you need a second look at so uh, that's that's one i'll do right now yeah no that's it's definitely a lot that you got going on there but it's something if if i could do if anybody out there could do and you have an abundance of pitching kevin gosman for juan soto not sure how realistic if you have to throw in your worst outfielder or something like that to make it happen, then sure. I think that that is a fair trade to make. Uh, Scott has moved Kevin Gosman up to SP10. I have him inside of my top 12 at SP12. Oh my goodness gracious. Wanted to highlight Herman Marquez, who we were talking before, Chris. I mean, him and Andrew Heaney, we use the Spider-Man meme a lot on this <laughs> podcast, and I feel like they're the same guy. It's just, you never know which version of those pitchers is going to show up. Andrew Heaney gets all these whiffs, gets a lot of strikeouts, but still gives up a ton of home runs. He's got like an ERA close to five now. And Herman Marquez, while he has been better than Andrew Heaney this year, admittedly, it's kind of the same thing where he can go out like he did on Wednesday, eight innings, one run, zero walks, seven strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes on 98 pitches, or he can give up eight earned runs in a start, which is something he has done twice this year. So how do you feel about Herman Marquez? I know that you liked him quite a bit coming into the season, but there has been that inconsistency for him. Next week, he's in line for two starts as of now. Both are at home versus the Pirates versus the Cardinals. What do you think about Marquez, and would you be okay starting him in that spot? Uh, Pirates, Cardinals, that's a tough one because my my sense would be as a two-start pitcher, especially in a Roto League, my, I would probably sit Herman Marquez making two starts at home, but you know, with, with you know decent matchups, I think I would still try to sit him, but here's what makes it hard. His last three starts at home, he got bombed by the Reds on June 12th, uh, eight earned runs in five innings, but then the Mets, one earned run in six innings, the Cardinals, one earned run in six innings. Um, that makes it difficult. I, I would prefer to sit him in a Roto League. In a points league, I think you might be able to get away with it because there's not the risk of him blowing up your ratios, but... Um, that being said, like, I think Armand Marquez is a fine pitcher to have around. I don't think he is a, he's certainly not a must start guy. And and I don't think anybody would make that argument, but, uh, when he's on the road and when he's got the right matchups at home, I think you should feel pretty good about, uh, what you're going to get out of Armand Marquez. And you look at the last nine starts, which is a bit of an arbitrary endpoint because it's taking out his two or uh, eight earned runs in two thirds of an inning start. Um, he's got a two six eight ERA in that stretch with almost a strikeout per inning. I think he's very good. I think the biggest thing holding him back is just his home park. Here's the next problem with Herman Marquez. Everything you said, Chris, I think is accurate. The problem for him this year, his splits at home. He's got a three point five six ERA on the road, five point seven four. So I have him in a league. I benched him this week because. You know, he has been a little bit shaky recently, so I miss out on this great start. I'm going to try and get him back in my lineup next week when he's at home, and I'm going to look at the home road splits and say, oh, well, he's actually really good at home, and then watch it that be the time when Herman Marquez gets blown up. So he's, he's yeah, frustrating and I think to try the and sample size out. is still Yeah, I think the sample size is still small enough that you can kind of throw that out, and, and you know, the home stats especially, I would imagine there's... Uh, Ten starts is quite a bit, Chris. I was looking at it wrong. His two, his worst start of the last nine as I, was actually on the road at Cincinnati. That that's my bad. That um, makes sense. He's only had yeah, he's had the one bad start on the road, and even that was four earned in six innings with eight strikeouts against Cincinnati. Yeah, I don't know because I, I would guess that that two that two inning or two out eight earned run start at home is really inflating the, or on the road is really inflating things. So I don't know. My, I still, I view him pretty much the same way I did coming into the season. Boomer um, bus, man. I don't, yeah. Boomer yeah. bus, Herman Marquez, start to start. It's, it's frustrating, but given the way he's pitched at home this year, which I do think is weird, mid three ZRA against the Pirates, against the Cardinals, I'm firing up Herman Marquez next week. I think regardless of format and probably yeah, famous, that makes sense. famous last words, but... Let's see it's how it scary. goes. Let's see it's how it goes. Uh, we've got to do like a Wander Franco update all week long, right? Like at least for the rest of the month because he's Wander Franco, duh. He went 0 for 3 with two walks and a run scored. He did have his first strikeout uh, across his first two games here. Uh, he had a 107 mile per hour exit velocity on a line out. So 
that was unfortunate, but nice to see the the EV up early here. Chris, uh, we didn't have you on yesterday for Wander Franco's awesome game. I don't know that there's anything you'd like to add through these first two. He's awesome. He is awesome, indeed. I don't really have much to add now. That's that's perfectly fine. We can I mean, I'll just say what I said when he got called up. You should still try, probably be trying to trade him. If you can get uh, an, an absolute haul, I still think... There, there's there's so much hype that this is the right time. Yeah, and we spoke about that yesterday, Scott and myself, and he still said he would do it for Corey Seager. If you could make that happen, Seager's yep. probably a couple of weeks away. You know, Maybe he returns just before the All-Star break, just after the All-Star break, something like that. If you can get a top 20 starting pitcher, someone like a Musgrove who has turned in a quality start against the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, something that you can look into doing. Let's talk about spin rates because we have to do that every single day. And Trevor Bauer, you mentioned, is currently on the mound. And it looks like he just got pulled. Just got pulled. After so six and a third. So finishes uh, six, I believe it's six plus here. Five hits, yep. three runs, four walks, 10 strikeouts. The three runs that he allowed all came on solo home runs, one to Cronenworth, one to Machado, and just now one to Victor Caratini. He still had 18 swinging strikes on 102 pitches. Trevor Bauer did. However, his spin rates on the slider down 152 RPM. Four seam down 190. Sinker down 196. Although with a sinker, I think you want it to have less spin rate. And then with a knuckle curve down 125 RPM. A lot, a lot of hard contacts here, Chris, but still had 10 strikeouts. Yeah, I mean, eight, uh, eight batted balls hit at least 100 miles an hour. That's and a, the, the that's thing to note, that's a lot. dude. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, he actually he had he only had eight hard hit balls, which doesn't seem that bad. You know that there are there have been certainly worse starts. Eight of them being 100 plus miles an hour. That is that's rough. He got he got hit really hard today. He didn't have great command. But the thing to note is it's not just the, the 190 RPM drop in spin rate. It's also the fact that Bauer was throwing harder, 93, 95.5 miles per hour uh, with his fastball on average for the season. It's been 93.8. What's notable about that is um, fastball velocity is usually positively correlated with spin rate. The harder a pitcher throws, generally speaking, the faster their spin rate is, or the higher their spin rate is. And it's usually the throwing harder leads to the higher spin rate, which is why it has been so notable that the last couple of seasons, Bauer's velocity has been down from his peak while his spin rate has gone up. Today, we saw the opposite. His spin rate went down while his fastball velocity went up. That's probably, I mean, obviously I'm not him and I don't know, you know, what he's going, what's going through his mind or what he's using or not using, but that seems like a, it would be reasonable to think that's a conscious decision to you know, try to make up for what you may have lost by throwing harder if he wasn't throwing a full effort before. Um, it's only one start, and we've seen one really, really good start from Bauer since the, the memo was released. We've seen one pretty mess start, and, and now today I think is more concerning than not. Um, all in all, I think... He's not in that, you know, he would have been right around SP three through five with Shane Bieber going on the IL. I think now what we've seen since uh, these changes, he's looked a little more like the Trevor Bauer of old, which is huge strikeout potential every time he goes out on the mound, but the control has been iffy. The command has been iffy and he gets hit hard. This is what, you know, the frustrating version of Trevor Bauer has looked like a lot of walks and a lot of hard hit ball. I still think he can be very good. I still think he's probably a top 10 starting pitcher moving forward. You know, you're still going to get a lot of volume. You're still going to get a lot of wins, but I, I don't necessarily expect elite results every time out from Trevor Bauer. Now. Yeah. I think I might drop him a little bit. I still have him at SP five. I might move him down to around 10 or 12, I'll move Zach Wheeler, Kevin Galsman ahead of him. I think that makes sense. Scherzer, now that he's back off the I.L., move him ahead of Bauer. So I think he'll kind of fall in somewhere in that like 10 to 12 range for Bauer. Ultimately, I'm still not all that worried about him because you need healthy arms and 
Same thing with Garrett Cole. Like these guys are still going to be workhorses and they're going to give you innings in a season where yep. like everybody's hurt now. So real quick, Chris, um, we, we keep getting questions like, do you try and sell Gar- Garrett Cole or Trevor Bauer? Are you more likely to keep them or shop around a little bit just to see what you can get? I, I think in, in both cases, there's so much buzz about spin rates and sticky substances and all this that their perceived value has probably taken more of a hit than their actual value. So no, I, I don't think this is the right time to try to trade them. But I could be, you know, if, if you're getting offers for Trevor Bauer that indicate that people still view him as an elite starting pitcher, then I, I think it's it's a more interesting question. But I think that he's more likely to be more valuable than what you can get for him in trade right now. The other starting pitcher that I noticed was down quite a bit in terms of spin rate. Dylan Cease at the Pirates, five and two thirds, seven hits, two runs, one walk to seven strikeouts, 16 swinging strikes on 99 pitches against a team that does not swing and miss all that much. I know we have this perception that the Pirates are terrible, but they actually have the sixth lowest swinging strike rate of all teams in baseball. So they do put the ball in play. So still a good amount of uh, whiffs and strikeouts for Dylan Cease. His fastball was down 287 RPM. And Scott has been very uh, vocal about the spin rates being up for Dylan Cease this year and the fact that, you know, he's worked with their pitching coach and he wasn't worried about, you know, sticky substances for Dylan Cease. So we get Scott's thoughts more on that tomorrow, but ultimately worth noting Uh, But Dylan Cease was still pretty good in this start. Before we get to news and notes, just wanted to let you know what is on CBS Sports HQ this week. As always, CBS Sports HQ is the network to start your sports news day at 8 a.m. Eastern with morning buzz, an hour of highlights, news, and all the days need to know. And come back or leave us on all day at 6 p.m. where we break down all the night's action and release dozens of picks from the best analysts and cappers in the sports world. How to watch HQ? It's easy. Go to your Roku, Apple TV, Fire TV, really most connected TVs, and look for the CBS Sports app. Fire it up. Check out HQ, the only 24-7 free sports streaming network. News and notes from Wednesday. Aaron Savale was diagnosed with a sprained right middle finger. He'll be shut down from throwing for one to two weeks and is expected to require four to five weeks to complete his rehab program. So... End of July, early August seems like a realistic timetable for Aaron Savale. And while we were expecting him to regress because of his underlying numbers, this is still a tough loss with all the pitchers that are going down, specifically for Cleveland, just in general. Now they've lost Bieber, Savale, Plesak. It's it's a rough go. Uh, Marcus Stroman, a little bit more positive news here. His MRI on his hip came back clean. He has avoided the IL to this point. So let's see what happens there with Marcus Stroman. Alex Bregman, who is on the IL with a quad injury, is still two to three weeks away from returning. And his replacement, Abraham Toro, and if you play on CBS, that's Abraham Toro Hernandez, uh, went two for four with his second home run on Wednesday, including four RBI. He is 20% rostered. He's got seven games next week, three against Baltimore, and four against that banged-up Cleveland pitching staff. So... You play in deeper leagues or you need a corner infielder in a roto league. I think Abraham Toro is kind of interesting. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think kind of interesting is the right way to put it. Um, You know, obviously the fact that it's the Astros and they tend to get a lot out of guys, I think makes them slightly more interesting, but didn't play much in the high minors, especially at AAA, only 33 games in his career, 1097 OPS. That's great, but it's only 33 games, so... Uh, double A, he had an 836 OPS, 18 home runs, 92 RBI. Strikeout rate right around a little under 20%, maybe 19% eyeballing it. So yeah, there, there are things to like here. I, I think he's certainly someone that if he didn't play for a team as stacked as the Astros, probably would have had a starting job the last couple of seasons and we would have been able to see more of him. Yeah, I just I really like the fact that it's cheap exposure to probably the best lineup in baseball right now. So seven games next week, a lot of volume. Pretty interested in Abraham Toro uh, in that spot. Ronald Acuna was scratched Wednesday with back soreness. Mookie Betts was held out due to an illness. Cattell Marte also missed Wednesday's game with that left hamstring injury that we mentioned yesterday. He is currently day-to-day. 
Cody Bellinger, Kyle Tucker, and Michael Conforto were all activated for their respective teams. Conforto went two for four with two runs scored. Danny Duffy was activated and started against the Yankees. He pitched two shutout innings with three walks and four strikeouts. He finished with only 42 pitches, so they're going to bring Danny Duffy along pretty slowly here. Jackson Kawar, who is one of their top pitching prospects, was optioned back to the minors. He was quite bad in his time with the Kansas City Royals. Tony Gonsolin will make his next start on Friday. He dealt with shoulder soreness last weekend, but won't miss a turn in the rotation. Daniel Vogelbach suffered a significant hamstring injury. So, Chris, your boy, Kesson Hira, he's back. He was recalled, and Hira was batting 375 with two home runs in June at AAA, but that also came with a 36% strikeout rate. Hira is currently 31% rostered. Are you adding him anywhere, yeah, I mean, Chris, or just kind of monitoring this situation? I guess if you're looking for reasons for optimism, maybe the fact that pitchers aren't able to spin the ball as much might help with his primary issue, which so far this season has been the high fastball. Um, he's just been so susceptible to that pitch. And one of the benefits of spin rate is that it increases your swing strike rate on forcing fastballs. It, it creates more of that perceived rise and makes those pitches uh, a little easier to handle. And his strikeout rate since going back to AAA was only 26%. So if you're looking for small reasons for optimism, I mean, we know there's no question that he's an incredibly talented player and maybe this helps. I, I'm not super optimistic, I can't say, but the fact that he keep, keeps hitting in AAA, maybe there's going to be a moment where the light goes off. It's weird because it's similar to Joe Adele where they're hitting for batting average and for Adele, even more power, but the strikeouts are still so prevalent, even in the minor leagues. So, yeah, like he's been better, but at the same time, he, he has a lot of the same issues that he's always had. So uh, I I would have liked to see them just leave him down longer and, and try to really get that strikeout rate down. Again, Kesson Hero we're talking about here. 31% roster. I don't, I don't think you need to add him anywhere yet, but I still think yeah. he has some upside. Just throw him on the scout team for now. Gio Urshela was out of the lineup on Wednesday due to a shin injury. X-rays came back negative. He is day-to-day. Salvador Perez was removed Wednesday after getting hit in the mask by a pitch. Brandon Belt left with a leg injury. The D-backs designated Stefan Crichton for assignment. Chris, would you like to guess when the D-backs last save was and who picked it up? Was it Stefan Crichton? No cheating. See you typing away there. Oh, no, I wasn't. I wasn't going to look it up. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Was it Stefan Crichton? It was not Stefan Crichton. Would you like to guess when? It's got to be back in mid-May. It was May 30th. Yeah, okay. It was Riley Smith for an unconventional three-inning save. There you go. Their last conventional save. I was thinking Caleb Smith. (laughs) I saw Smith in the box score for that game, and I thought it was Caleb Smith as well. It turned out to be Riley Smith. Their actual last conventional save was back on May 10th by Stefan Crichton. I I know the the, the Diamondbacks have been losing a lot, but wow, that is... Yeah. That's that's rough. That's crazy. Uh, I assume that Joaquin Soria would get the next save opportunity if one ever comes up. Uh, and last but not least, my boy Demarcus Evans on the Texas Rangers has been brutal this year. I think he's got an ERA like over seven or something like that. He was optioned back to AAA. Not much to see there with Demarcus Evans. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, buy low or no thanks, bro. We'll do it next here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. 
If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. So let's take a look at some of these buy low options. And for a few of them, it's going to be relative because they're still playing well, some of them, but maybe not up to the expectations that we had coming into the season. And the first one is Tim Anderson, who did go two for five on Wednesday. He's batting 297, which is fine, but that comes with a 758 OPS. We know he doesn't walk much, uh, but the power is also down quite a bit this year. His ground ball rate is a career high, 60%. Last year, that was 55%. Uh, As a result, his average launch angle is also a career low, 2.2 degrees. Chris, would you try and buy low on Tim Anderson Or no thanks, bro. Yeah, I would. I think we've got a a strong enough track record here of him, one, outperforming his peripherals to a decent extent in a way that seems sustainable given his speed and given his skill set. But also, they're letting him run the way we've hoped they would for a long time. Uh, He's on pace for 33 stolen bases, which would be... A career high by at least a few. His career high previously is 26. He only had 22 between 2019 and 2020. So they are letting him run a lot more. 18 stolen base attempts in 60 games. That's really what it comes down to is just if that's going to keep being true, then you're not really... If he has the 850 OPS like he has the last couple of seasons, that's kind of a bonus. Like if he has an 850 OPS and he steals 30 bases, he might be a first round player in terms of the value he returns. If he is more of a mid 700s OPS, I think he's still really valuable. So I, I would definitely try to buy law on Tim Anderson if I got that opportunity. Yeah, and you still have him ranked as a 26 on the trade chart, which is mm-hmm. a lot like salary cap value. So a $26 player, uh, you have him basically at the same value as J.D. Martinez, just ahead of uh, Shane Bieber, Francisco Lindor, a few names there. So, yeah, if you can... You don't have to give up a player of that caliber, but if you can give up someone lower in the trade chart to try and acquire Tim Anderson, uh, I think it's something worth looking into. How about his teammate, Jose Abreu, who went 0-4 with a walk on Wednesday. Three more strikeouts. He's batting only 242 with a 756 OPS. Strikeouts are up this year. Ground balls that are up this year. Babbitt seems like he's been unlucky. That's probably tied to ground balls because he's obviously a, a very slow player. This one's a little bit tougher, Chris. What do you think? Buy low or no thanks, bro? Jose Abreu. Yeah, it, it has been a very rough month for Jose Abreu. He's hitting 189 with a 518 OPS in the month of June. Only seven RBI. RBI have really slowed down since that. Uh, what was it? Four, five... 10 in four games or 10 in five games stretch. He has eight and 21 since then. But I, I do think Jose Abreu is someone who's worth buying low on. Yeah, the the he's old enough, I think 34 now, or is he 35? I believe he's 34 years old. And, you know, that's the age where... Yeah, 34. The, the drop-off could happen at any time. I mean, it could have already happened. But there's not really any good sign of it. Um, the strikeout rate is slightly up, but the hard hit rate is still there. The expected Woba is still very good. Most of those numbers still look quite good, if not quite as good as they did last season. Like He still looks pretty much like the guy he was in 2019. In 2019, I was down on him going into last season because he 
you know, was like 14th among first basemen in, in OPS. He wasn't a great hitter overall, but huge RBI numbers. He still hit 30 home runs. I still think he's mostly that guy. If you can get Jose Abreu for a pitcher like Robbie Ray or Yusei Kikuchi, would you do that? Yeah, I would. I think that's yeah, especially uh, especially Kikuchi, who who I do like quite a bit, but you know I, I don't think he's a player of Jose Abreu's caliber. All right, so try it out, see what happens. Cabrian Hayes went two for four with two RBI on Wednesday. Also picked up his first steal of the season, and in 17 games since returning from the IL, he's batting 277 with two homers. Uh, an 11% walk rate, 16% strikeout rate. So really, really like the plate discipline for Hayes. Uh, he's hitting the ball very hard. Ground balls, a little bit too high, 48%. This isn't really a buy low, but maybe someone is not pleased with what they've what he's given them since returning from the IL, Chris. So buy low or no thanks, bro. Buy medium or no thanks, bro, on Cabrian Hayes. I definitely think you should be trying to buy Cabrian Hayes because I think he's he's better than the production that we've seen so far from him. It does sort of depend on who has him on their roster. Like if it's someone like Scott, our good friend Scott White, um, who viewed Cabrian Hayes as a potential superstar this season, then I don't think you're going to have the opportunity to buy low. But if you are, if someone like Scott Whitehat doesn't have him on their team and they want to try to buy low, I think trying to go get Cabrian Hayes is a very good idea. I'm going to marry these two together, Chris. Brandon Lau and Dylan Carlson. Would you be looking to buy low on one, either, neither, both? What do you think? Uh, I was pretty skeptical of both of them. And in... Lau's case, I mean, we're we're at a point now where he's been a thoroughly underwhelming uh, major league player outside of pretty limited sample sizes. This is his worst season so far, but uh, you know, seven sub eight hundred OPS in twenty eighteen with a ton of strikeouts, eight fifty OPS in twenty nineteen, which was awesome, but one thirteen strikeouts in eighty two games. I just think he's kind of a limited player. And I think there are real flaws in his game that are holding him back. And and with Carlson, my concern for him, you know, when he made this giant jump up the prospect charts was that he, you know, had a pretty limited track record of very good performance at the minors. It was really acknowledging that he was very young, you know, throughout his minor league career, which certainly makes the numbers look better. 2019 was really the only time he performed you know, put up elite numbers and what we're seeing so far in, in the majors overall, and especially in 2019 is just kind of very middling tools. Um, you know, pretty good speed, but average exit velocity, hard hit rate, max exit velo. It's all just very average right now. And you can get away with average physical tools if you've got a really good approach or, you know, something like that, but he doesn't seem to have that. You know, he doesn't have, uh, I'm trying to think of a good comp, but, you know, maybe like, yeah, I don't know what the comp is. I was going to go with the Bo Bichette pre-2021 comp, but he's kind of taken a big step forward across the board. Um, but yeah, it just, it's a skill set that could be very conducive to fantasy for Dylan Carlson. It just hasn't, Hasn't been there yet, and I'm I'm worried that he might just be a little bit overhyped. Yeah, and I like Dylan Carlson as a breakout coming into the year, and he had a good April, but since the start of May, he's really slowed down. 256, which is three home runs, and a 699 OPS since then. Uh, that also comes with a .098 isolated power. ISO is slugging yeah. percentage minus batting average for... Those who wanted to know, you can find it on Fangraphs. Uh, the league average isolated power is 161. So since the start of May, Dylan Carlson is way below that. So I'm right there with you. His hard contact is down. Uh, the tools not really flashing much right now. Uh, he's still 87% rostered. I I'm no thanks, bro, on both of these guys, Brandon Lau yeah. and, and Dylan Carlson. I just I don't really want to get involved. Lau strikeouts are up this year. Batting average just climbed over 200, which is. It's just he's crushing you in that department. He's still hitting for power, but 
a 359 OPS against lefties too. Wouldn't surprise me if he if he starts getting platoon there for the Tampa Bay Rays. Chris, would you actually consider dropping Dylan Carlson? He's 87% rostered. Yeah, I think he's in that conversation. You know, I think I think in the trade values chart, he's like a three or four uh, dollar player. So yeah, two dollar player in Roto five and points. So that's definitely in the drop range. You're talking about outside of the top 200 for the most part. Last yeah. one I'll mention here, Chris, between these two uh, for the Mets returning players, I kind of like the idea of trying to acquire either Jeff McNeil or Michael Conforto right now just as they return, yeah. uh, which one do you like better between the two, McNeil or, or Conforto? Uh, I think I've had Conforto ranked higher uh, coming into the season and throughout. Um, I think they were both in like the 70 to 100 range in the preseason rankings. And given that, you know, neither played a ton, I think the, you know, the preseason expectation still reigns. All right, so let's just move over to your trade chart, some of the biggest risers and fallers, and I will include the link in the podcast description to this article so you can follow along here. But the biggest risers are Shohei Otani. The, is that, you put DH, but he's both on CBS. So I, right? I, I rank him both. Okay. So that's the DH version of Shohei Otani has moved up. Yeah. More than the pitcher one. The pitcher one is still more like an, a $12 player, although that seems low too. Seriously. And we'll get into Otani, the pitcher, in just a little bit. But uh, Shohei Otani has moved up $8. George Springer, Marcus Semien, Salvador Perez, Tommy Pham, Willie Adamas. Those are the biggest risers on Chris's trade chart. And I I talked about Tommy Pham last week as someone that I'd be looking to buy high on. I don't know how high it's going to be, but I say buy high because he's performing really, really well this month. Actually, I think since the start of May, he's just been really, really good. And he's leading off for one of the better lineups in baseball mm-hmm. with the San Diego Padres. So I would look into doing that. The one that really stands out to me here is George Springer and, and trying to figure out his value. And obviously he moves up because he's healthy now. He's batting fifth for the time being for the Toronto Blue Jays. Chris, what do you think it would take to acquire Springer now? And would you try? Because we've seen a lot of guys who have re- tried to return from injury get hurt again. Actually, he's already well, done and- it this year. Including George Springer. Yes. If he plays in the Blue Jays next game, that would be the most games in a row he's played all season because he played two two games. Uh, he was on the IL to start the season, came back, played two games, went right back on the IL, came, IL, came back, played two games, went right back on the IL. So I, I think he would be even higher if it wasn't for the fact that he was hitting uh, fifth, you know, the expectation coming in was he was going to bat lead off at the top of this lineup. And as we've seen with Marcus Simeon, that's an incredibly valuable role. I would be trying to buy him just because, look, the injury risk is what it is. But if George Springer's on the field and if he's healthy, he's going to hit. And whether he bats first, whether he bats fifth, you know, that's a, it's not a nothing difference, but it's not a significant enough difference to change how I view him entirely. So, you know, I have him as a $20 player overall. So, you know, in a points league, that's around Charlie Morton, Gunjin Ryu, Kyle Hendricks. Um, it's a little higher than someone like Nelson Cruz because he's utility only. If I'm trying to trade for him, I'm probably aiming lower than that. I'm probably aiming for like the $15 tier. But um, George Springer is somebody I would be looking to acquire. And somebody in that $15 tier would include Pablo Lopez, Julio Arias, Freddie Peralta. So again, those pitchers, we have some innings concerns about. Try and flip one of those for George Springer. Even Kyle Hendricks, who is on this amazing run. I think it's like eight or nine straight quality starts. He's been very good. If I could turn Kyle Hendricks into George Springer... I would feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I would feel good about that. Charlie Morton, a little bit more pause there because he's been awesome his last two starts. Back-to-back seven-inning performances just put up 11 strikeouts on Tuesday. So there would be a little bit more pause for there. Uh, Willie Adamas is one that really stands out here. We don't really have to talk about him, but we've mentioned before his splits in his career away from Tropicana Field now that he is with the Brewers. Very good ballpark to hit in. Better for left-handed power, but uh, Willie Adamas has been very good since joining the Brewers. So uh, you could probably get him for yeah. dirt cheap. He might even be a free agent in your league. 
Yeah, here's his 150 game pace since joining the Brewers. 280 average, 70 runs, 20 home runs, 90 RBI, five steals. Away from Tropicana for his career, 290, 86 runs, 24 homers, 68 RBI, six steals. So I don't know for sure that he's that guy moving forward, but I, I think there's pretty good reason to think that. He's talked about how hard it was to see the ball at Tropicana Field for him sometimes. So, you know, those numbers are pretty stark. Willie Adamas is 41% rostered on CBS. He has shortstop eligibility he should be more he should be more rostered than that i think any any roto league he's a good option in middle infield right now the biggest fallers in chris's trade chart tyler glass now jack flaherty jared kelnick byron buxton shane bieber jesus lazardo those are all pretty obvious most are injury related and for yep. kelnick and jesus lazardo they have been recently demoted back to triple a and jared kelnick i was just looking at to see what he's been doing recently. and Not much. It's really it's, not much. He's yeah. batting right around 200 in the month of June at AAA. So I don't I don't think we're going to see him anytime soon unless he gets really hot. So we'll, uh, we'll let you know if that happens. And speaking of Willie Adamas and potentially adding him, how would you rank these waiver wire starting uh, shortstops, Chris? David Fletcher went two for four on Wednesday. He's batting 368. In June, he's 56% rostered. Brendan Rodgers went one for four with his fourth home run and has started seven of the last eight games for the Rockies. 35% rostered with seven home games next week. J.P. Crawford continues to crush it. He's on a 10-game hitting streak. He has 16 hits during that span, batting 365 with a 987 OPS in June. 37% rostered there. So, Chris, rank these. Fletcher, Brendan Rodgers, J.P. Crawford, and Willie Adamas. I think it's got to be Rogers by a, a pretty decent margin. The the course field of it all, if for no other reason than that, makes him uh, the best option. But also, you look at what he's done this season. Strikeout rate's right around 20%. Uh, he hasn't been running, which is disappointing, because he was talking before the season about wanting to be a 20-steal guy. You know How much of that is just the the injury that he missed most of the first two months with? Um, but I think he's been, while he's been disappointing, there are reasons to be optimistic about him moving forward. And the seven home games next week, you could probably get away with starting him in you know your 12-team Roto Leagues next week. Yeah, I mean, if you're really desperate for a shortstop, maybe even in a points league, seven games in Coors Field, that's, that's prime time yeah. right there. So... Uh, yeah, Brendan Rodgers ranked above the rest there. How about these waiver wire starting pitchers, Chris? Interested in any of them? Matt Manning up against the Cardinals, five and two-thirds, two earned runs, but only one strikeout. He only had four swinging strikes on 80 pitches. Caleb Smith against the Brewers. No Yelich in the lineup, so worth noting there. But six innings, one run, four walks, six strikeouts. That's back-to-back -back quality starts for Caleb Smith. Looks like he is on pace for two starts next week as well against the Giants and at the Cardinals. And then Mike fulton who turned in a quality start, six innings, two runs, five strikeouts to zero walks, 12 swinging strikes. He's 8% rostered. So Manning, Caleb Smith, Fulte. Any interest, Chris? I don't know what's going on with the Tigers and, you know, this this trio of, you know, arguably I think the the most wide, highly regarded starting pitching prospect trio in baseball, if not the most, you know, arguably one of with Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, and Matt Manning. And, you know, Mize and Skubal have shown some signs this season, although I think they've been disappointing on the whole. And Manning is kind of following the same script. All three of those guys came up and to the majors and, just didn't get very many swinging strikes, didn't get very many strikeouts. Um, I want to be interested in Manning, but I, I think of this group, Caleb Smith is probably the most interesting. I I think the only team I have him on is my Tout Wars. Um, but you know, we, we've seen Caleb Smith go on runs where he can get a decent number of strikeouts and you know, walks and home runs are always going to be an issue for him because of the type of pitcher he is. He doesn't have great command. He gives up a lot of fly balls. But when he's right, he can pitch well enough to pitch around that. And, you know, he's done that lately. All right. And Matt Manning is also on pace for two starts next week against the White Sox and at Cleveland. 
Uh, what if I threw Chris Flexen in that mix, Chris? He had a really he's had two really good starts in a row now for the Mariners, and we spoke about him yesterday. Uh, he's right around what is his roster rate? Thirty nine percent. So it's kind of similar to these guys. Would he be at the top of the list? No, I, I think he'd probably be behind Smith. I think he's more like Manning or you know h- higher than Faulty, but I think I would still like Smith a little better. All right. Well, that crazy game that happened against the uh, Phillies and Nationals, we already talked about Juan Soto, who did nothing but 27 hits and 25 runs combined in that game. Trey Turner went three for four. Josh Bell went two for four with a grand slam. Let's see, do I have this loaded up? Yes, I do. Josh Bell, he is kind of hot in... June, 281 batting average with three home runs and an 876 OPS. So you have to know what his strikeout rate in June is because, you know, overall his batted ball data is exceptional. Um, 94th percentile on average, exit velocity, 94th percentile on hard hit rate. Uh, The problem overall for him this season has really just been that he's striking out too much. 26% uh, strikeout rate. And it's not allowed him to take advantage of, you know, how well he's hitting the ball. It is 26% for June as well. Yeah, still a little too high. And, you know, what I mentioned earlier with Juan Soto, where you would look at the, the sprint speed, you would look at the the shifting. He has been susceptible to the shift this season. Um, and he is quite slow. So it's possible that, you know, Josh Bell, despite how hard he hits the ball, could continue to disappoint. Um, and, you know, as good as the numbers are in June, only three home runs, you would you would hope for more from a guy who hits the ball that hard. Yeah, a lot of it is still on the ground, too, though he has a yep. 26% line drive rate in June. So that is positive, and we're kind of moving in the right direction here with Josh Bell. Someone tweeted at me earlier, I apologize, I don't have your name handy, but they said he should ditch uh, switch hitting, which... I agree with. I mean, he's awful as a right-handed batter against left-handed pitching. It's like, just take your chances as a left-handed batter against left-handed pitching. I think you're probably better off doing that, Josh Bell. Uh, Kyle Schwarber went one for four with his 19th home run. He now has 10 home runs total this month. For the Phillies, Bryce Harper has homered in back-to-back games, so maybe getting healthy here. Alec Bohm went four for five with three runs scored. And Andrew McCutcheon went one for four with a grand slam, which came off of a right-handed pitcher which is notable because he has destroyed lefties all season long and has been very bad against righties. I think it's a sub-700 OPS on the season. And that's been the case for him the last couple of seasons. He's really hit lefties well, not so much righties. And McCutcheon, just for the month, is batting 315 with six home runs. So he's been really good. I haven't looked into their schedule to see if it's all against lefties, but uh, McCutcheon coming around here just need a little bit more consistency. Let's... Take a look at the rest of the standouts from Wednesday. Studs being studs, pitcher edition. Brandon Woodruff at the Diamondbacks. Seven innings, one run, nine strikeouts, sub two ERA, 0.76 whip. Guy just keeps chugging along. We spoke about Kevin Galsman earlier. Shohei Otani, 55 minutes in. Good time to talk about him. Up against the Giants, six innings, one run, two walks, nine strikeouts, 21 swinging strikes on 105 pitch at, uh, pitches. Had the whole arsenal working through four different pitches at least 16 times. Shohei Otani's last eight starts as a pitcher. 2.39 ERA, 59 strikeouts, over 45 and two-thirds innings pitched. The problem, Chris, if you play on CBS or anywhere else where you have to pick and choose a hitter or pitcher Otani, you are getting none of this production. Yeah, that's... That's the difficult thing about him. Um, you know, there's also just, it's hard for me to shake sort of the omnipresent concern that at some point he might get hurt again. Uh, but he's, he really is pitching very, very well right now. And, and as good as he is as a hitter, it's worth remembering, you know, I, I bring this up pretty regularly. Coming over as a prospect, he was considered a better pitcher than he was a hitter. So, you know, now I think it's the opposite is true. He is, you know, one of the best 
hitters slash position players slash whatever non pitchers in baseball. He still might also be a top 15 starting pitcher on a per inning basis. That <laughs> it's, it's not out of the question like that. That's, that is certainly how he's pitched this season. I'm going to anger some Blue Jays fans by saying this, but Shohei Otani, that's your American League MVP right now. I mean, yeah, like it's it's the kind of thing I was talking to someone on Twitter about this recently, and they were they were pointing out that Vladimir Guerrero has like a a win, one win advantage in WAR if you add uh, Otani's pitching and hitting, but like it doesn't work like that. You can't just add those together because you're talking about. One, he's getting a DH penalty, but he's not really a DH because he is playing a position. You know, he is a pitcher on mm-hmm. your roster and you're getting two different players from one roster spot. That's I, I think if he does what he's doing, if if he finishes the season pitching and hitting as well as he currently is and stays healthy, I think Otani should not just be MVP. I think it should be unanimous. Yeah. I can't argue with that. Please, to stay healthy, Shohei Otani. Uh, Robbie Ray, the last one I wanted to mention, at the Marlins, six innings, one run, six strikeouts. That is a quality start in four of his last five for Robbie Ray. The breakout, renaissance, whatever you want to call it, I think it's more of a breakout because this is the best version of him that we've ever seen. Oh, yeah, the the tight pants are are making all the difference. (laughs) You know who else wears really tight pants, I realized? Jake Cronenworth. I was watching that game, he hit a home run. Super tight pants, man. Walker Bueller might have the tightest pants in baseball, though. <laughs> Robbie Ray on the season, 3.35 ERA with a 1.15 whip. Look at some of the biggest hitter standouts from Wednesday. Jose Altuve, 2 for 5 with his 17th home run. 10th home run this month. He's averaging 3.8 fantasy points per game. And finally, all three of us, unanimous. Jose Altuve, number one second baseman ranked in points leagues. I haven't done yeah, it in Roto. Gotta be. Yeah, I haven't done it in Roto yet just because I still think Whit Merrifield's going to steal more bases. Uh, I, I believe I still have him. I, I believe, yeah, it's, it's Merrifield for me in, in Roto as well. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. And I might even have Ozzy Albies ranked ahead of him in Roto just because he's been run, running quite a bit as well. So uh, pull it up for you. Yeah, have Ozzy Albies second. Eh, you can. I think it's kind of what you need, right? If you need power, uh, the way that Altuve is playing. Last year, total fluke. Confident saying that. Adolis Garcia put up a double dong. He now has 20 home runs on the season, only batting 253 in June, 33% strikeout rate, 59% ground ball rate for Adolis Garcia this month. Those two things together, very bad for a power hitter. Uh, Starling Marte, Parte on Wednesday, two for four with his fifth homer and his 11th stolen base. He is batting 333 in 22 games since returning from the IL. Starling Marte, and I've talked about this before. He also has a 13% walk rate this year, and that's typically around 5 or 6% for him. So if he keeps that up, he is going to be a top 10, maybe even a top 5 outfielder in head-to-head He's points been, leagues. He has been, I mean, it's not quite Nelson Cruz, but like the last three years of Starling Marte's career, he has been like a, a money-printing machine for fantasy. Yep. As long as he's healthy because, you know, he's missed time this year as well. But averaging 4.0 fantasy points per game right now for Starling Marte, third best among outfielders. It's a career year, uh, contract year for him too. So I think he's trying to turn that into a little paycheck. Trevor Story had a double dong on the road. He's now up to eight home runs and 13 steals, but only batting 259. I think that uh, buy low window may have closed for Trevor Story. Gary Sanchez went one for four with his 12th home run. It was a game-tying Homer in the ninth inning off of Greg Holland. So no surprise there. Uh, Gary Sanchez batting over 300 in the month of June. Austin Meadows went two for three with his 16th home run. He's still completely selling out for power. 54% fly ball rate in each month this season. So it's weird, but it's kind of working for him. So, all right. Freddie Freeman went four for four with a walk. It was only his second four hit game of the season. Boba went two for four with his 12th steal. He is batting. 279 with 14 homers, 12 steals, 48 RBI, and 61 runs scored on June 23rd. If Bobachet keeps this up and stays healthy, he is going to be a first-round pick in Roto Leagues next year. I don't think that's really up for debate. He he is on pace for like a 260 combined run and RBI season. It's it's, it's outrageous. It is crazy. Yeah. And, and that's part of the reason why we're telling you to try and acquire George Springer because 
it doesn't it doesn't matter where you hit in that lineup, just how good that lineup has been this and year. And also Marcus Simeon's been kind of not great in June and he was not good in April. And so maybe he just had a random hot streak. He has still scored 16 runs in 18 games, despite only having like a 700 OPS uh, with a 290 on base percentage in June. But it wouldn't shock me if George Springer was batting first or second for the Blue Jays in two weeks. This guy is not really a stud anymore, but we'll give him a shout out anyway. Francisco Lindor went two He's for four. Stud. I mean, maybe in terms of hair game, his, his hair is pretty cool. Francisco Lindor went two for four with his ninth home run. He's batting 292 with three homers over his last seven games. So baby steps, oh, I but guess. It's, it's been longer than that. He's his, been... June, his June is not good, Chris. It's still like 240 batting average with, I think, between a 700 and 800 OPS. Like, it's not great. Still, his pace before today's two for four with a home run game since May 27th, which you know, arbitrary endpoints, small you are, sample sizes, whatever. You are eight and this is actually like this is like the most arbitrary endpoint I could possibly <laughs> do because this is literally from the second game of a doubleheader. <laughs> you are azer statting the heck out of this one, but his pace is 264 average. Okay, that's not great. 33 homers, 78 RBI, 111 runs. He's been mostly himself for like a month. He's fine. All right. Well, as usual, I my pacing was terrible, and I didn't leave myself enough time to talk about other things that I would like to, but I will point out that the Tigers had two players with a sock and a shoe, so that's socks and shoes. And one of them came from Jonathan Scope, who is just... On yeah. fire, destroying baseballs. He has 15 home runs. It was his first steal of the season. The other one, just wanted to quickly mention, came from Daz Cameron, son of former major leaguer Mike Cameron. And how about this? Uh, both Mike Cameron and his son have now each stolen bases against Yadier Molina in their respective careers, which is just awesome. Um, Daz Cameron has three homers and three steals in just nine games this year. So in a deeper Roto League or in shallower yeah. leagues, Throw him on the scout team. I think in a deeper Roto League, you could actually add him. But uh, 3% rostered is Daz Cameron. Had some prospect pedigree. Strikes out quite a bit. But power-speed combination is there. Again, the name, Daz Cameron. The call to the pen. Wrap up with some bullpen updates for the Phillies. Hector Neris has blown a save in three of his last five appearances. Joe Girardi said after the game, he'll take Thursday's scheduled day off to, quote, think about making a change at closer. So... Chris, would you be interested in adding Jose Alvarado or Sam Coonrod in deeper category leagues? Uh, I feel like the closer situation has kind of settled down a lot uh, over the last like three weeks or so to the point where I don't necessarily feel the need to chase a maybe. And in this case, since we there's a maybe we'll have a new closer and there's a maybe it'll be one of these two guys. Um, so, I, yeah, in a deeper league if you're desperate for saves, but I'm not you know, running to go add those guys. Yeah, I in all of my 15-team Roto Leagues, I am desperate for saves, so I will take a shot sure. on one of these, or maybe both of them. I think probably Coonrod yeah, just would be more likely. He's the righty, but Alvarado's yeah. had the better numbers this year, so... I, I like Alvarado. So I would lean towards him, but we'll see what happens. For the Tigers, it looks like Michael Fulmer is the guy there. He pitched in, in the ninth inning in a 6-2 game, and he has the Tigers' last two saves. He's 33% rostered. For the Rockies, Daniel Bard recorded a one-out save. It is his 10th of the season. He's 47% rostered. Uh, for the Royals, Greg Holland picked up his fourth blown save. He only recorded one out. He allowed three hits and two earned runs against the Yankees. And speaking of those Yankees, Roldis Chapman gave up three hits, two walks, two earned runs. He has a 7.56 ERA in June. Spin rates were not an issue for him in this game, but I think Chapman might be struggling with no uh, no sticky icky in the Bronx. So Garrett Cole was his teammate. You never know. For the Blue Jays, Jordan Romano picked up his fifth save. For the Rangers, uh, Yoeli Rodriguez got his first save because Ian Kennedy was sick. For the Mets, Edwin Diaz is 16th. For the White Sox, Liam Hendricks is 19th. And for the Brewers, Josh Hader picked up his 19th save of the season. To stream or not to stream for Thursday, 
Brad Keller at the Yankees, Jamison Tyone versus the Royals, Colby Allard versus the A's, Carlos Martinez versus the Pirates, Chad Cool at the Cardinals, and Tony Santillan versus the Braves. What are you laughing about over there, Chris? Uh, to not stream. Is that what I said? Or just not? No, that, that is my response to this group. <laughs> I, yeah. uh, Allard is the most interesting. I would prefer not to have to start any of them. I agree. I, Jameson Tyone has been so bad, but the Royals offense is pretty bad too. I guess if you wanted a second one. For Friday, John Gray's return at the Brewers. Griffin Canning at Tampa Bay. John Lester at the Marlins. Kwang Hyun Kim versus the Pirates. Johnny Cueto versus the A's. And Vladimir Gutierrez versus the Braves. Yeah, I like Griffin or uh, John Gray and John Lester most out of this group. And I think Canning or Kim can be useful as well. Yeah. The Rays swing and miss a lot, though. I guess with Juan or Franco in the mix, that might change their lineup construction um, or just how we view them moving forward. Yeah, I, I would probably go with Kim over Griffin yeah. Canning. We're going to wrap there. For Chris, I'm Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.